Uh, I'd like to, uh, this week's parasha is serious now. It's Vayrake El Pekude. She's she's in the hospital actually. I have to oh call yeah yeah yeah. yeah 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 okay she should have a full slam a privilege full slam. I also want to mention that uh, Will just got up from Shiva. Yeah. And his mother passed away. Her mo- his mother should yeah. his mo- should have she should have an alias. The Shama. What's her name? What's her name? Chaya Basir. Chaya Basir. Chaya Basir. Who the and the Torah that we learned today should be, in addition to Dr. Rogowski, should be also for her neshama as well. Okay, so um, the parsha parshios of Ayakel Tekude are about the Mishkan once again, um, and it's a lot about accounting and execution. It's not about the ideas that we learned in parshios Truma and Tetzave, but it's also about the it's about the finishing it up, getting it, getting the job done. A lot of ideas in life, but you know you got to get it done. So the Torah tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu instructs um, in chapter thirty-five. He instructs the people what to do, and indeed the Torah goes through the details of how they do it. And Vayakel is pretty much about the making of the building. The making of the building, um, the, the, there are different terminologies that are used here that are very significant terminologies. Um, for example, um, we've, in the previous years, we spoke about the, the term that's used is nidivo slave, which is the generosity of the heart, or nisio slave, which means the elevation of the heart. And these are terms that are pretty much limited to the Mishkan context, which means that it, the Mishkan isn't only about building, but it's about building with the heart. It's about the idea that when you build the Mishkan, you have to build it with the highest level kavana, the highest level intention. And although tonight we're not going to go into this point in great detail, I do want to bring to your attention a very interesting comment of the Sforno. The Sforno, in the famous Italian commentary, says that there were three famous buildings, the Mishkan, the Beis Hamidrash the first, and the Beis Hamidrash the second. And he tells us that even though in... In beauty and in size, the Mishkan was the smallest, but nevertheless, the Mishkan was that which was never destroyed. The Mishkan was nignaz, which means it was put away, but it was not destroyed. As opposed to the first base of Mikdash and the second base of Mikdash that were destroyed on different scales. And the Sfarno says the reason for that is, I'm just going to give to you his famous formulation, he says that there were four elements that were present with the regard to the Mishkan. The first element was that it had the Luchos. It had the famous tablets. It had the Luchos Aedus. Number two, it was overseen by Moshe Rabbeinu. As the Pasuk says in chapter 38 in Pekude, Asher Pakad al Moshe. Number three, the, the major work that was done was done at the hands of Itamar, Avodas HaLeviyim, Biyad Itamar, the Leviyim oversaw the, the detail work, and meaning that the guarding of the Mishkan and all of the day-to-day activity was, the, was, the, um, was in the, the purview of the Leviyim. And of course, 
Bitzalel was the prime architect from the tribe of Yehuda, and he was in charge of the. He was in charge of the. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Hey, <laughs> he was in charge of the. Uh, of all of the craftsmen, they all reported to him, and he was the one who, cons- who, you know, got the job done really, and says the Sfarno that therefore it was full of Kedusha and because it was full of holiness therefore it was never destroyed because it was full of holiness it was never destroyed as opposed to Shlomo's Beis Hamikdash, where the workers were Gentile workers from Tzur, from north, north of Israel, from Lebanon and even though the Shekhinah was present and indeed there was the Aron Kodesh. Nevertheless, the first base Hamidrash fell into the hands of the enemies. And the second base Hamidrash had none of these four conditions. It was the second base Hamidrash from beginning to end had very little Jewish labor associated with it. And therefore, what? It was, in, it was the Levium weren't in charge of it. And uh, there, were, there were no Levium on a daily basis. And Koresh Cyrus, um, the, 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 the Persian king, he was, you know, the one that sort of got it going again. And even though, of course, Ezra and Nehemiah were involved, but they weren't involved in the actual building. The builders were from Sidon and Sur, again, in north of Israel, Lebanon, etc., as it says in the book of Ezra. And therefore, the less holiness in the building, then the more it can be destroyed. And that's why um, the first mi- the, the Mishkan had... Its, its architect was holy and Moshe Rabbeinu was on top of all of that and the Levim were on the daily basis and the people that came were of elevated heart and of generosity of heart and therefore it could not be destroyed. And it's interesting to point out, I'm not going to go into the details of this, but there's a famous Gemara in Bamitzia, page 84. The Gemara says that, that Rabbi Chi and Rabbi Hanina were arguing. And one said, you're arguing with me? If, I would, if all the Torah would be forgotten, I'd be able to, I'd be able to bring it back with my, with my powers of, of pilpul, and my powers of in ability to, to regenerate the wisdom of Torah. And, and Rabbi Chia said, you're arguing with me, I'll make sure the Torah will never be forgotten. What I'll do is, I will plant seeds in the ground, which will then produce flax. With the flax, I'll make nets. With the nets, I'll then catch deer. With the deer, I'll then flay the skins. I'll then cut the skins into pieces of parchment. I will then process the parchment, put on it five books of the Torah, six books of Mishnah. I'll teach each kid one book of the Torah, one book of the Mishnah. They'll teach each other. And I'll make sure that the Torah will never be forgotten. And the Gemara says, Ah! How great are the deeds of Rabbi Chia. And the commentaries ask, why did Rabbi Chia need to plant the seeds? Why did he need to flay the skin? I mean, couldn't he have simply gone to the uh, parchment store? Couldn't he have simply gone to the sofa and said, you know, I'll buy, uh, I'll buy six books of Mishnah and five books of the Torah and work from there, right? I mean, you don't need to make potato kugel anymore. You just buy potato kugel. <laughs> who makes Shabbos anymore? You just buy challah, right? Nobody makes challah, right? You buy challah. In fact, many kids in LA think that there's no such thing as a potato patch. They think it's a, it's a potato kugel patch, right? <laughs> just go to the potato kugel patch and you get a potato kugel, right? So the answer is 
the answer that you probably can figure out from context is the Marsha and others say this idea because Rabbi Chia was interested in the foundations being holy. The foundations have to be holy. If the foundations are holy, if you plant the flax seeds with the right intention and you make the net with the right intention, then there's a holiness that is created from the foundation. And when you create the foundation with holiness, then you have something very, very unbelievable. And by the way, this point is not lost even on modern thinkers, that when children grow up with a good childhood, right, most of life is trying to either unravel, you know, the errors of childhood, right, or most of life is building off, leveraging off the greatness of childhood. Right? There's a Yiddish phrase, a worm in horseradish doesn't know how bad he has it. A worm in horseradish. Could it be in honey? Why is he in horseradish? He doesn't know that. So that's, that's the thing with a child. He could be in horseradish. He doesn't know. He, he has no idea. When he's 30 or 40, he's figuring out that he was in horseradish. Right? He's, he's trying to undo the errors of the past. Right? Sometimes a person is given such a difficult childhood, their whole life is... is hampered by that reality. So the foundation is very, very important. And that's why in, in, in the way we're mechanech our children, the younger the child, the more pure we try to keep it. The less we try to you know, invade their environment with, with, you know, uh, with the negative realities of society. And the more, it's called in, in the lexicon, Altaras HaKodesh. That's why you have certain schools of thought that when you educate a child, when they're really young, you just teach them pure Torah. They were, especially among the Hasidim, you teach them, you don't do the math and the science here, you do that later on. Do that again. I'm not, I'm not debating what, which way, you know, what's the right way for you. I'm just giving you this perspective. Right? You, Altaras HaKodesh. The idea of starting it, and that's why when a couple gets married, we, we always try to say that that first year should be extra special. It's called Shana Rishona. They should spend a little bit of time with each other, right? couple gets married, they spend, spend a little bit more time, right? That This idea of creating the foundation. The foundation has to be very holy. The Mishkan was of a very holy foundation. Okay. That's sort of a, just a parenthetical comment. Yes? So you that the first second temple was built by non-Jews? Yeah. Built by non-Jews. It was supervised. Ultimately, it was supervised by, you know, by Ezra and Nehemiah, but it was built the labor and the materials and everything, as opposed to Yaakov Avinu, who planted the cedars, I didn't go into the details, who planted the cedars from which the wood of the Mishkan was, was made, right? All the, you know, the Kedusha that was, that was inherent in the Mishkan, which we didn't, you know, there's more to say about it, but that, that's, you know... The idea of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov and Sarif Rivka and Leah, and and as the Ramban says that the kedusha of the Avos and the Imahos rested in the Mishkan. All of these ideas are very powerful. Okay, now, okay, that's just a, that that comment. I must tell you something. Yes. It happened to me. I I lived I uh, lived in uh, Metar near Hebron, okay. half an hour from Hebron, and the poalim, the workers used to come and work in the city in yeah. uh, Metar. And he was walking there and said, oh, I'm walking for me. One day will be my house. An Arab <laughs> yeah. guy from yeah, yeah. Hebron. And sure enough, I lost it to the Russian mafia. <laughs> so it's, oh, yeah. I feel like something, <laughs> wow. you know, that reminds wow, wow. me of the... What a story, what a story. Okay, okay. 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 Hashem, you'll, 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 get back, you'll get back much more than what you lost. Hashem. Amen. 
Okay. So let's with that. I want to I want to give you a, an overview of the parsha and ask two questions. Okay, because it's a double parsha and a lot of details. So I want to look, look at it in a generic in a general way and share with you something very very deep. Okay, so first, Vayakel Pekude, it's a double parsha. Vayakel, on page 516, before Moshe tells B'nai Yisrael what to do to bring the donations and to form what they have to form, the parsha begins with Shabbos. The parsha begins with Shabbos. Okay? Look at the beginning. So everybody asks the question, why does this parsha begin with Shabbos? This is not the first or the second or the third or the fourth time that the Torah is speaking about Shabbos. And you'll tell me, no, this is teaching me, and Rashi tells us this. You know why you mentioned Shabbos right before the Mishkan is to teach us that what? The Malachos from Shabbos. Who said that? That the Malachos come from Shabbos? That's a very beautiful idea. Beautiful idea. Although that's not what Rashi says. And indeed, this could be a source for that idea. Um, um, uh, however, the Gemara actually, interestingly, does not learn it from that. Why? It's a good question. Why? But the Gemara does not learn it from that. So, what's the connection between Mishkan and Shabbos? Again, what you're saying is correct. No, it's correct. You say it's correct. But in this, this context, this is not how the Mepharshim explain what's going on here. So, Rashi says a very basic idea. Stay with me. Okay, Rashi says, Rashi says, it's to teach me that when you have a competition or a clash between Shabbos and building the Mishkan, what's the halacha? Observe Shabbos. Still observe Shabbos. Still observe Shabbos. Shabbos beats the Mishkan. Shabbos beats the Mishkan. Do not violate Shabbos to build the Mishkan. Why would I have thought that you should violate Shabbos to build the Mishkan? After all, it doesn't say in the Torah, you know, uh, it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that, uh, for example, um, you should uh, do the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrog and keep Shabbos. Like, as if to say, like, you know, don't pick the esrog off the tree on Shabbos. It's obvious you have to keep Shabbos. Why would I ever think, why would I think that you should indeed violate, why would I think that you should violate Shabbos to build the Mishkan? Why would I think that? I mean, like, as we say in the Yeshivas, what's the Havamina? Why would I think that you should, yeah, you should indeed violate Shabbos to build the Mishkan? What do you say? Why would I think that that might be the case? Bring God into the, uh, into the Shabbos. Holiness. Because what? Because of holiness, right? In other words, listen to something very deep. Listen to something very deep. In other words, this is what I would have thought. You know, when people think about holiness, most people think of things as being holy. Right? Most people think of things that are holy. Kedusha, holiness, is like, you know, this is a holy ark. And this is a holy altar. And this is a holy menorah. People usually think of Kedusha associated with objects. When I was growing up, there was a famous announcer for the Yankees. His name was Phil Rizzuto. He used to always say what? Anybody know? Holy cow. Holy cow. Holy cow, right? That's in my mind. I can't, I can't get it. Sorry for sharing that, but I had to share that. So, <laughs> so people always think of objects, objects as being holy. Says the Abarbanel, 
famous commentary on the on the Chumash. It says that Rabbi as follows: <coughs> Comes the Torah to tell you, comes the Torah to tell you that in the clash between holiness of time versus holiness of space, in the clash between kedushas hazman and kedushas makom. Holiness of time and holiness of space, which one wins out? Time. time. The first thing that's mentioned in the Torah, the first time the word Kedusha, the first time holiness is mentioned in the Torah is what? Is when? Shabbos. Hashem blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. So comes the Torah. I would have thought maybe the idea of Kedusha, of the Mishkan, the idea of the holiness of space is so chashuv, so important, it should beat out Shabbos. Comes the Torah to teach you that Kedusha Hazman, holiness of time, beats out holiness of space. And there's actually a third holiness. Because we know that, and I've shared this idea many times in the show, over the course of the years in Shirim, there are three realms of holiness. Stay with me. This is already a little, this is Kabbalah 101. Okay? Three realms of holiness. Olam, Shana, Nefesh. Which means space, time, and people. Space, time, and people. Olam, Shana, Nefesh. And there's a tremendous parallelism in all three. So for example, there's the holiness of the place, Holiness of place, of space, that's, that's the Beis HaMikdash, right? And then within the Beis HaMikdash, there's the courtyard, and then there's what? There's the holy, and there's the holy of holies. You have different levels of holiness. And then also on Shabbos, on Shabbos as well, you have, Shabbos is the holiness of time. Within Shabbos, there are different levels of holiness. We, there's a very basic tradition that the end of Shabbos is the holy of holies. Shalashudas is Rava the Ravan. Like as you get closer to the end of Shabbos, you go, you're going up in holiness. I know most people think, well, as I get closer to the showers, I'm getting, I'm getting closer to Nagila. Right? I'm getting closer to Nagila pizza. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 you know both of them go, Shabbos is ending, Baruch Hashem. But, no, Shabbos is climaxing. Shabbos is climaxing, you know? So, uh, so, and, and, but then there's a third realm of holiness. And the third realm of holiness is a human being. A human being. And, and I think we talked about this last week or two weeks ago, sometime. Like, the Vilna Gaon says that a human being has three levels. The Vilna Gaon says that the, human, the head of the human being is like the Holy of Holies. And is, and again, there's a lot of, lot of depth to this idea. And his, and his esophagus and trachea and his heart are analogous to the Mizbeach in the, the second level is the Kodesh. And the Holy has the altar, and it has the it has the shulchan, the table, which is food, and it has the menorah, which represents ruchnius, spirituality. Ruach is wind. And there are six rings on the trachea, and then there's the top, which is the which is the uh, what's it called? With the top is the uh, they call it again the epiglottis, the, the the door, the top, whatever going way back, going way back, right? So you have so there are seven levels in the menorah. There are seven and the Villagon says that's the a human being has this mid level holiness, the Kodesh. The, the the heart and the and the and the uh, esophagus 
and the and the uh, trachea. Those are like the three central things. And then you go lower. You have the azara, the courtyard, which has the altar and the the, the bigger altar. And the bigger altar processes blood and food, etc. And there you talk about the liver and the kidneys, and that processes the food and the blood and all that other stuff. And the other says a human being is a mishkan. That's why the famous song Bilvavi Mishkan Evan. A human being is like a is is like a is like a is a living and walking sense of Mishkan. And if a Jew perceives himself as like, that the head is the Holy of Holies, and something interesting, because the word Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, is hidden. It's hidden. Nobody really saw it. And it's interesting, what did we say, that which part is the Holy of Holies? The face, right? Or the head. But the head... Isn't it interesting? What are, what's the Hebrew word for head or the face? Rosh. Rosh. But what's the Hebrew word for this whole thing? It's called the panim. Right? Oh. The panim. But the panim, <laughs> we call the panim, it's an oxymoron. It's really, what does the word panim mean? Face. It means face. What does it really mean though? Inside. Inside. Because the face is really an, a window into something much deeper. When you see somebody looking at you in a certain way, so they're giving you an outside look, but there's something deep going inside. Right? There's something very, very deep about the face reflecting an inner reality. The Kodesh HaKadoshim, the face represents a whole, diff- a whole world of Machshava. So listen to something uh, remarkable, a very beautiful concept. The Rav Chaim Belozhin, the student of the Vilna Gon, said that when we're, told, when we're told in the beginning of Parshas Truma, you should make the Mishkan for generations. You should make the Mishkan for generations. Said of Chaim Belajan, based on the Vilna Gaon, the obligation of making the Mishkan is to make yourself into a Mishkan for generations. That there are no, there's no Mishkan, there's no Beis Hamikdash, there's no Temple anymore. But it, but the obligation is primarily manifest, <coughs> primarily manifest in what? In the person himself. Every individual who self-perceives, I'm holy of holy, I'm holy, I'm a courtyard. The way I talk. The way, what I look at, what I don't look at, the way I speak, the words I don't use, right? The way, that I once heard from a, a, a very famous rabbi, who I won't mention his name, he said a beautiful thing. He said that his son, he used to always call his son Tzadik. A five-year-old kid. So he was Tzadik. So one time, they had, he had to go to the bathroom. He was like in the car, and it was really hard for him. You know, you know, this happens, you know, and it was like, not until 10 miles later, it was like, you know, they get out, you know, get out, finally get to the destination, and the boy is like running, like, to find the bathroom, and he, the closest bathroom is a bar. It's like a bar. It's like in a lot of, a lot of, you know, people that are living there, are, not living there, people that are there, they're, they're, they're seedy people, right? So the kid's five, six years old, and he's walking into this bar, and he sees it. it's not fitting for him. And he's like, he's going crazy. And is like you know I, I don't know the parents said you know go to, let's go to the bathroom he said I'm at Sadik mm-hmm. how can I go into the bar <laughs> I'm at Sadik right the way a person I'm sure he went to the bathroom I don't know exactly the details mm-hmm. I, I, I just, he's he's married the story he lived happily ever after don't worry no reason, like don't wish he exploded saying but the point is like this the point is that a person a person has to believe about his or herself and recognize that there's a tremendous kedusha, tremendous holiness. And therefore we get to the third, <clears throat> the third realm, which is very beautiful, which is, there's the idea of holiness of the Mishkan, and then there's the idea of holiness of Shabbos, but the biggest holiness is a human being. 
And therefore, even though you are not allowed to violate Shabbos, finish up what I'm about to say, you're not allowed to violate Shabbos to build a Mishkan, but what? But you're allowed to violate Shabbos to save a human life. Because as holy as Shabbos is, a human being is holier. The greatest holiness is not the Mishkan, the greatest holiness is the human being, the Jew. Now, okay, now stay with me. So everything I said until now is a very beautiful Torah. This appears in the Hassam Sofer. He says this idea. I did not make it up myself. But I have, I have a, a simple question to ask you, okay? Okay, now you've got to stay with me. It's a little complicated, but if the question is simple, you stay with me. This idea that I told you really comes from chapter 31. Go with me to chapter 31. Chapter 31, <coughs> Parashat Kitisa, learned it last week, page 490, page 490, chapter 31, verse 12. I'm going to be speaking quickly now. Hashem said to Moshe, and you should tell B'nai Yisrael, and you should tell them, Verse 12 and 13. You should keep my Shabbos. It's a sign. generations. You should know that I am Hashem that makes you holy. So now, I make you holy. So here's the question. And Rashi tells us, Rashi tells us that this teaches me that even though the Mishkan is holy, nevertheless, you shouldn't push away Shabbos. So this is what Hashem told Moshe. So how did Hashem tell Moshe? Hashem told Moshe, build the Mishkan! And then He told him, keep Shabbos. Notice the order. Build the Mishkan, and then what? Keep Shabbos. You follow what I just said? What's my question going to be? Now, move ahead to our parsha. What is it? What's the question? What? What? Vayakel is when Moshe's Hashem's not speaking to Moshe. What is? What is parsha Vayakel? What are these parshas talking about? It's what? So, and who's speaking now? Moshe is speaking to Bnei Yisrael, right? And it starts with Shabbos. If Moshe is supposed to present to Bnei Yisrael the idea that Shabbos beats the Mishkan, wouldn't it make sense he should present it in the same way that Hashem presented it to him? Why does Moshe present Shabbos and then Mishkan when Hashem told Moshe Mishkan then Shabbos? I'm not interested in how did Moshe know to present it differently. That's, that doesn't interest me now. I'm interested in what is the reason, what's the deeper idea of the Mishkan being presented after Shabbos when, when Moshe was told about it, it was Mishkan, then Shabbos. Here it's Shabbos, then Mishkan. You with me? Yeah. So let's, let's put that question to the side. That, I want to I I get to that question, because it's a big question. And we already presented the idea that there are three types of holiness. There's the holiness of place, holiness of space, uh, holiness of place, holiness of time, holiness of human being. Remember that idea. Okay, now, let's, let's, let's jump ahead. Because we want to look at the parsha in a big in a big way, so Bayakil is all about the building of the, the coming forth of the donations and the building of the of the beams and the building of the of the aron and the building of the table of the of the shulchan and the menorah and the mizbeach and the mama, all of it is all done, 
And the Kior. And now turn, please, to page 530. To page 530. Okay? Then we have something called Parshas Pekude. And Parshas Pekude, Parshas Pekude is pretty much a continuation of Parshas Vayakyo with one major exception. So before I tell you the exception, let me show you the continuation. Page 532. Page 532, the Torah tells us, verse 30, verse 30, Torah tells us, and Moshe made with the silver, he made the sockets. Once again, it's the making of the stuff. And then in verse 2 of chapter 39, he made the, he made the gold, um, the, the, the gold apron, the aphod, um, and then it says, and um, it says they made the, the, he made the choshen, the breastplate, right? Talks about the stones of the breastplate. Then on page 534, it says he made the me'il, the blue, uh, the blue coat. Then he made the tunic, right? The ketonet. And it sits, the head plate, etc. So it's really a continuation of the making. What's the difference between Vayakal Bakude? What's the difference? Vayakal is the making of what? The making of what? Of the building. And what's Bakude the making of? The accessories. The accessories, the clothing. Right? Then at the very end, okay, at the very end, where it's, when it's all completed, verse 32. Vatechel kol avodas mishkan olamoid, page 534, chapter 39, verse 32. Vatechel kol avodas mishkan olamoid, he completed all the mishkan work was completed. Vayasu bnei sukachal, shetiva Hashem as Moshe kenasu, they did everything that Hashem commanded Moshe. Vayaviu es a mishkan al Moshe es a oil, they brought the mishkan to Moshe. They brought it all to Moshe, everything. It's a big list, you can read the whole list. They brought the cross, the kol kelov. Cross of Crush of Brich of Amudav Adonav. They brought what did they bring? The hooks, the planks, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the cover of red-eyed dead red skin, the cover of Takashkins, the partition, everything. They brought it all to Moshe. They brought it all to Moshe. And Rashi says, why did they bring it all to Moshe? Because they couldn't make the Mishkan stand. They made it all they made all the individual pieces, but it somehow it was unable to to, to get like, you know, you have the erector set. You made all the pieces. But they couldn't get it to stand. So they brought it to Moshe. And Moshe was the one who was able to, to put it all together. Moshe put it all together. You look at Archcore, they have this commentary according Rashi. The workman cannot erect the tabernacle because of its massive weight. Since Moshe had not had a share in the actual work, God wanted him to have the honor of erecting it. Seeing how heavy it was, he asked God, how can anyone erect it? God told him to make the attempt and the tabernacle would stand on its own, as if he had put it up. And that's exactly what happened. They brought it to Moshe. Everything. That's the whole list of what they brought to him. Everything. Including the clothing of the Kohanim. Moshe, what did he do? Moshe lifted it up. But before he lifted it up, verse 43, and this is the second question I want to ask. <coughs> verse 43, it says, Vayar Moshe es kol ha Moshe saw all the work. Bihine osu osa. And they had done it all as Hashem commanded. Kashotiva Hashem. K 
they did everything as Hashem commanded. And Moshe gave them a bracha. Moshe gave them a bracha. Anybody know what Moshe's bracha was? Moshe's bracha is my, is my favorite bracha in the world. I give this bracha all the time. Whenever I, whenever I write an inscription, you'll always get this bracha. Unless I don't like you. <laughs> the bracha that Moshe gave, first I'll tell you the bracha that Moshe gave in the less famous way, and then I'll tell you the bracha that he gave in the, most, in the more famous way. And then I'll tell you, then, 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 we'll, then we'll ask the second question. The, the less famous way is, Moshe said, Yehi Ratzon, Shetishre Shechina, May it, build, may it be the will of God that the Shechina should rest on your handiwork. Meaning, build it, but will He come? Build all the components of the Mishkan, but will Hashem come? That's a whole different ball of wax until the end. So Moshe gave a bracha. Bayaris Kohamalacha. And he gave a bracha by Yevarech Osam Moshe. And by the way, we find that Moshe Rabbeinu actually gave this bracha twice. Once was before the Mishkan went up, and the other time when the Mishkan actually came up, but then when they brought the Karbanos, did the Shekhin actually come and consume the Karbanos? And that's for a different Shmuz. That's not today's year. So what was, what, where do we know that Moshe made this bracha? Where do we see this bracha? So this is a bracha that each and every one of you hopefully say on Shabbos every Shabbos. And if you don't, you should start coming earlier to Shul. Because it's in the Psuke de Zimra, the verses of song, and it's in Psalm 91. Psalm 91. What is the bracha? Okay. You might be familiar with this. The bracha is like this. Vihi Noam Hashem Ah, Noam. Imam Mashiach, Givaldus. Okay. It's actually the very end of Psalm 90, before, right before Psalm 91. But we say it, um, we say it sort of moving into Psalm 91. According to Chazal, David Amnach did not compose all of the Tehillim. There were 10 people who wrote Tehillim, and Moshe was one of them. David was the editor. So this was actually composed by Moshe. Moshe composed, I think, 11 Psalms. And Psalm 90, I think, was the first of the 11. And May the pleasantness of Hashem our God be upon us. And may our handiwork, now see how beautiful this fits, may our handiwork be may it stand, may He establish our handiwork. May our handiwork be established by like a double terminology of let it be established. And then, according to the rabbis, Moshe Rabbeinu then, then composed the psalm which is very, very enigmatic. Yoshei b'seser elyon, the one who dwells in the hidden upon high. Betzel shakai yislonan, he who dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. 
Omar la Hashem, I will save Hashem. Machsi umtsudasi, God is my refuge, my fortress. He will save you from difficult times. Mipach He will save you from the ensnaring trap. It's all about the difficult times. Don't fear the terror of night, nor the pestilence that walks in the gloom. A thousand will fall at your side. You know, you, because all of this, it's a very interesting, it's all about the challenges of life. That's the psalm, that's the, te- that's the tehillim that Moshe Rabbeinu used. Behinoam, and then moving into this is like what he composed. And according to Chazal, according to the rabbi, something very interesting, according to Chazal, that when Moshe Rabbeinu said, Yoshe Beseser Elyon, when Moshe Rabbeinu used that terminology, when he said, God who dwells in the hidden upon high. According to Chazal, I want to read to you um, what the Medrash says, that Bitzalel is a combination of two words. Anybody know what it, uh, who said it? Bitzel Kel. Bitzalel, stay, where both you with me? Is anybody still awake? Yeah. Bitzel Kel. This sh- Thank you. I appreciate it. For you, I said this year. Okay, okay. You're the only one. Bitzel Kel. Bitzel Kel. The shadow of God. The shadow of God. Bitzalel is like the one who's in the shadow of God. Bitzel Kel. So, Chazal say that Moshe Rabbeinu, without the, the context, not important now. Moshe Rabbeinu said about Bitzalel, how did you know that? How did you figure out what to do? Were you in the shadow of God? Were you in the shadow of God? So, what is this Tehillim about? The one who dwells in the shadow of God. Betzel Shakai. So the rabbis say that Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who composed the psalm, and he composed the psalm as the bracha when the Mishkan was completed. And the Medrash goes a little bit deeper, and the Medrash says, the Medrash says about Moshe Rabbeinu, the Medrash says, Ish emunot rav brachot. The Medrash says, that Moshe Rabbeinu is the man of faith is the one that was full of brachos and it sounds like from the Medrash and even from the simple pshat that if Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't have given the bracha then it wouldn't have happened the Mishra never would have gotten off the ground literally, literally what's that about? Moshe Rabbeinu had to give a bracha to the Mishkan what's that about? well why did Moshe have to give a bracha to the Mishkan? and by the way that's question number two. Question number three, and I think you already, if you already have a little sensitivity to the text, you should already be like, you should jump, jump for joy on this point. This, like, this part is the most, to me this is like the most exciting point when I was preparing this year. When Moshe Rabbeinu, when the Torah describes Moshe Rabbeinu looking at, looking at the Mishkan, <coughs> chapter 39, verse 43, Perak Gimel, page 536, it says, Vayar Moshe es Moshe saw all the melacha. And, and, and behold, they did it all. And they did it everything like he, like Hashem commanded. And Moshe gave it a bracha. This sounds very familiar to something. What does it sound familiar with? Excellent. It sounds mamish like Priyas Aulam, the creation of the world. This sounds exactly, I'll show you in a moment what I mean. This sounds exactly like the creation of the world. When the six days were complete. When the six days were complete. Listen, stay with me. When the six days were complete, the Medrash says, I'm going to show you, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, we'll see in a second, exactly this point. But, um, I want to show it to you inside in the text, and then I'm going to tell you what the Medrash says. 
and then we'll try to put this all together. Look, take take a look with me at page using the art school here okay. at page six. Page six. Excuse me, no, not page six. That's wrong. Um, uh, hold on. No, 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 not there, not yet, just wait, just wait, you have to give me a moment, we'll get to it, you're getting close, you're getting close, page, yeah, Page eight. Page eight. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Torah says as follows. Page eight. Chapter one, verse thirty-one. Shem finished. Right. Nasa Adam created man. Hashem gave a bracha. Then it says. Hashem saw all that he did, the whole thing. And he saw it was very good. And then it says, It was all completed. Heaven and earth and all the hosts. He completed everything. I'm skipping. He rested all the work. And then he gave it a bracha. And says the Medrish, says the Medrish, the following interesting thing. Says the Medrish, what are we to make of the connection? But Medrish, the Medrish Rabbah says, Medrish Tanchum, excuse me, says, Vayar Moshe has called Hamalacha Zu Meleches Bereshis. It's referring to also the malacha of creation. As kol malachas hamishkan lo nemar. It doesn't say he that they completed all of the malacha of the mishkan. It says he saw all of the malacha. It doesn't go into the details of the mishkan when it talks about Moshe giving the bracha. El hodiach has to teach you sheshkula malachas hamishkan. It's to teach you that the work of the mishkan is equivalent keneged maise bracious. It's equivalent to the creation of the world. Miyad vayivarech osam Moshe. Immediately Moshe gave a bracha. What was the bracha? You know the bracha. Yehirotzel shetisha shechina b'masei dechem. Miyad omar vihi noam Hashem lokein aleinu umasei yadeinu kodin aleinu. In other words, the Medrash is saying that when Moshe Rabbeinu gave the bracha, he had in mind somehow, some way, that this was also a bracha on a new creation. Like the creation of the world. It's like equivalent to the creation of the world. So now we understand something very, very deep. But we don't understand what it means yet, the implications. Now we understand a little bit. Why does the Torah mention Shabbos and then the Mishkan? Why Shabbos and then the Mishkan? Because, what, because in one respect, in one regard, as we mentioned before, there's an idea... That what? There's an idea that what? That yes, you do not violate, you don't violate Shabbos to build a Mishkan. Of course not. That's for sure, that's correct. But there's another concept here also. And the concept is that the building of Shabbos, which was the end of the six days, 
and we'll talk about what Shabbos represents in a deep way in a moment. But Shabbos, which is the end of the six days, it's the culmination, the apex of creation. But it doesn't just say Shabbos. It says six days' work shall be done. Not that you're going to do the work, because at the end of the day, a human being doesn't do any work. It's Hashem that ultimately is the success and the failure. Six days' work shall be done, and the seventh day you will rest, and you should understand that your success of the six days are dependent upon your belief in Hashem anyway. And, and that's what Shabbos is. Six days and then the seventh. So too, you're about to build the Mishkan, and the Mishkan represents the creation like Shabbos. The Mishkan represents, as we'll see in a moment, how. The Mishkan represents the creation idea. Six days, the seventh, that's what the Mishkan is. How is it so? We'll see in a moment. But the Torah is trying to give, give, give an equivalence, an equation. Moshe brings them all together and he says, you know what you're about to do? You're about to create the world. It's been done before. But it's been done by God. But now you're going to do the same thing yourself. And at the end of the whole thing, at the end of the whole thing, I'm going to give you a bracha. And that bracha is going to be that your creation, right, your creation should have in it, human being cannot create without Hashem. Your creation should have in it the presence of the Shekhinah. Shabbos isn't just a halachic reality. Shabbos is that there's something very big going on in the world. And you are about to create the Mishkan, and you're also about to create a world unto itself. Now let's go a little bit deeper and then we'll put it all together. We have spoken in the past about the idea that Shabbos isn't just about a day of rest. Shabbos isn't just about a day of spirituality. It's that also. Shabbos really is the unification, the ultimate purpose, the ultimate reality of the whole world. God creates the world in six days. But the six days are really meant, really, to ultimately merge and climax into Shabbos. As we've spoken about many times, this world is not the ultimate place of reality. This world is just preparation. What do the rabbis call this world? This world of preparation? What's the term the rabbis call this world? Let me know. The rabbis call it Erev Shabbos. This world is called Erev Shabbos. The rabbis say, if you work hard in Erev Shabbos, Friday's a hard day. Friday people are running around. Got to make the phone calls. You got to get, you know, you got you to do, you got to do your potato kugel shopping, right? You got, you know, Friday is a, is a busy day. You're running around. You got to get in the showers. It's Alaska, Juno. Shabbos coming at 3 a.m. 2:45. People are running to the showers, right? You know, whatever it is. People, Shabbos, Erev Shabbos. This world's Erev Shabbos. The next world's Shabbos, and that's why we say that Shabbos is called Me'ain Olam Haba. The next world is Yom Shakulo Shabbos. But it's, 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 it's even deeper than that. Because really, it's not just that next world is Shabbos and this world is Arab Shabbos. That's true. But it's that Shabbos represents total and absolute clarity. The greatest challenge to spirituality is confusion. Where does the darkness fit into God? Tzadik Virala, Rasha Vitova. The righteous suffer, the wicked prosper. Moshe... Moshe Rabbeinu created a beautiful psalm, which we'll get to in a moment. But before Moshe Rabbeinu, there was a guy by the name of Adam Harishon. Quite a, quite a human being. And does anybody know what psalm he composed? It's called Mizmor Shirli Yom HaShabbos. Mizmor Shirli Yom HaShabbos. And if you look at the psalm of Shabbos, as we've spoken about in previous years, if you look at the psalm of Shabbos, you know what it doesn't talk about? It doesn't talk about Shabbos at all. Other than the opening line, there's nothing about Shabbos in that psalm. You know what it talks about? It says in that in that 
in that famous capital, it says, Ish bar lo yedoch, say Yovin The fool doesn't understand. Befroach rishayim kamo esav. The wicked are prospering, like the grass. But the tzaddik is having a difficult time. The greatest question for a human being, for a spiritual person is, where is all of this leading? If you show, if you tell me that the pain and the suffering that I'm going to go through right now is going to get me to a better place, I'm in. I'm going to buy into that. But if you tell me that I don't know, I can't tell you, I'm confused, as we are. So then all of a sudden, like I have doubts, I have questions, etc. The whole Indian of Shabbos is the coming together of the details of the week. Shabbos is, you have one day is, and again, we can't go into the details on this, on this level, but you know, there's a, the first day Hashem creates Shamayim, Hashem creates, right, Shamayim, uh, or, or, right, the second day Hashem Baruch Hu creates, you know, the Rakiyat to be Mavdab in Mayim Lamayim, and the third day it's vegetation. It's all like details. It's Marabu Masech Hashem. But Shabbos, that same psalm is not Marabu, it's Magadlu. Magadlu means it's not, it's not individual. It's not individuated. It's, you know what it is? It's all coming together. Ma'od amku I see how it all comes together. I understand when I read the Megillah at the end, I understand that the tree, that the gallows that Haman made, he was hung, he was hanged on those gallows. I understand that it all comes together. I see it all. The wicked prosper like the grass. Well, the grass is growing very quickly, but it comes out with weeds at the end, right? The tzaddik is katamar yifrach. The tzaddik is like the day tree. The, the, the day tree is very slow growing. It takes a long time. I wouldn't take your date um, on, a, on a date to watch the day tree grow. It's going to take a long time. If he says to you, I'll marry you when it produces a date, I would, you know, I would drop him. He's commitment phobic. You know, it's going to take a long time, right? The point is like this. The point is that you have to, the Mizmor Shili Yom HaShabbos is all about, Mizmor Shili Yom HaShabbos is all about, there's a clarity, but you have to wait for a long time until it comes. And Tzadik Katamar Yifrach, it's interesting, again, I don't, I don't want to go into all the details at this point, but most fruit trees are shorter than non-fruit trees. They're not fruit-bearing, non-fruit-bearing trees. Why? It's from a Balabatis. You don't give me the technical biological reality. But the, <clears throat> the reason why cedar trees are very tall because they don't produce fruit. So they don't have to... The strength that the fruit that a tree has to produce the fruit actually causes its sap to not be able to grow upwards. Because, you know, he's got he's to do a lot of work. But the, it's interesting. The day tree is a very, very tall tree. Tzadi katomar yifrach. A very interesting idea that tzaddik is like the tamar. Even though the tzaddik is busy giving, 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 in the end he'll be as tall as the as, as tall as the cedar of Lebanon. The date palm tree is an unbelievably powerful tree. So in other words, it takes a long time to see that. So what is Shabbos about? Shabbos is about the coming together of all the little pieces of creation. In this world, it's going to be hard to see Shabbos. Every once in a while you get to see Shabbos, you're very happy. But you don't always get to see Shabbos. Shabbos is coming attractions of the next world. That is the deep idea of Shabbos. And that's why in the base Hamigdash on Shabbos, they read from a very interesting parasha known as Ha'azinu, because Ha'azinu is all about world history, and we didn't even get to the end. You look at Parsha's Ha'azinu, it's about, it talks about the past, the, the present, and the future. We haven't reached the future yet. Shabbos is when it all comes together with clarity. But guess what? We're not always going to see that. So now, that's what what 
That's what, that's what Shabbos represents. And by the way, there's a very beautiful greeting that we give people. It's called Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. You ever heard of that greeting? I hope you heard of that greeting, right? But, so, let's understand the depth of that greeting. The depth of that greeting is that Shalom is when everything is unified. Oseh Shalom b'Romav who Yaseh Shalom Aleinu Up high it's all united. Down below it seems very disparate. It seems very disjointed. Shabbos is about the Menuchas Shalom v'Shalva. I'm not making that up. We say that in the davening. Shabbos is when there's shalom. There's a coming together, a unity, a total unity in the world. That's the ultimate Shabbos. A devekus, a clinging to God. That's the next world. When we're clinging to we can see have total clarity. We'll have the satisfaction as the Rambam explains, the ultimate intellect. The Rambam, the ultimate intellectual says, you know what, you know what the next world is? The next world is when you have hasogas, amitas, mitzios, something like that when you have a total clarity of God's reality the more you understand the greater shalom you have the less you understand when you, there are pieces in your mind and body that don't fit together you know then it's then you're disjointed right you're living in a, you're living in double worlds and all of us on some level we live double worlds you know when you have menucha when it all when you live a world of unity when you're not somebody different outside than inside when you don't live what we call, what do they, what do they call that? A, a double identity, a dual identity. Right? When more, that's when you have menuchas hanefesh, when it all comes together. Bracha is found in unity. Bracha shalom is found in unity. Bracha is found when there's shalom. The Kohen gives the ultimate bracha, which ends with the word shalom. The ultimate receptacle of peace is shalom. Now, Listen to what the Sfas MS says. It's very, very beautiful. And I don't really understand it fully, but, I, but this is really, this is, with this we'll be able to put it all together. Comes the Sfas MS, Ger Rebbe, and he says, he says something very, very beautiful. He ties it in also with, you know that the Mishkan, uh, the Mishkan was a, a correction according to Rashi for the Chet Egel, The Chet of the hate of the sin of the golden calf and says the Sfas Emes as follows he says the Mishkan was definitely built after the eagle the question is whether the commandment was before or after that is a Machlokas Rashi Ramban if I'm not mistaken Rashi says everything was after the Mishkan was after the eagle and Ramban says no the command was before if I'm correct, Rashi is correct for sure. I think the Ramban I'm saying is, I mean, Ramban is correct what he says for sure. I think Rashi is correct also, but I have to just look that up. So, so like this. Says the Sfas Emes, what's going on with Moshe giving the bracha? What's this all about? And they brought it all to Moshe. And Moshe's bracha is, Vihi noam Hashem elken aleinu. Yiratun so here we go. We're going a little deep. We're going a little bit deep today, I know. But it's Kedai. Says the Sarsemes. The Mishkan is meant to be a tikkun, a correction for the sin of the golden calf. 
Before the sin of the golden calf, Bnei Yisrael had already undone, as the Gemara says, they had undone the sin of Adam Arishon. They were completely connected to God. They were dovek. They were connected to Hashem. As the Pasuk says, God and His people were indistinguishable. Whatever that means. What happened when they sinned? There was division. Sin creates separation. Sin creates... Forget about, we don't need to get so fancy metaphysically. When you and your spouse, or you and your child, or you and your friend have some type of falling out, even if you say you're sorry, there's a division, there's a separation. It's not the case that you just go back to the way you were before. It takes time to go back. There is a separation, there's a wall, there are hurt feelings, there's a mechitza. So, what happened? Moshe Rabbeinu comes. And the first thing he talks about is Shabbos. What is Shabbos? We said what Shabbos is. Shabbos is the what? Is the unity of all of creation. In fact, the Zohar says, Raza de Shabbos Ihi, the secret of Shabbos is that everything comes together be'echad. It all comes together as one. Shabbos is the coming together of everything into one. Sunday, Monday, it's all, it all finds its, its manifestation in the, in the Koach of Shabbos. What's the Mishkan? The Mishkan is, you build an Aron, you build a Mizbeach, you build beams, you build sockets. Okay, fine, very good. But, and in fact, in the, I forgot to mention this point, but in Parshas Pekudet is the counting of all the details, the counting of, of all the different details of the Mishkan. But all those details can never bring bracha. Because what did we say? Where is bracha found? When is bracha found? When is bracha found? Bracha is found when there is unity. Achdus. When you come together. So the Torah says, when Hashem looks at the world, Hashem saw everything that He did. And then it says, Then He gave it a bracha. The ultimate bracha is when it all comes together. Moshe Rabbeinu sees it all. Moshe Rabbeinu, who's the Ish Emuna, the man of faith. We'll get to that in a moment, that line. Vayar Moshe, kol ha Moshe Rabbeinu saw all of the work. He didn't see a Mishka. He didn't see an Aron and the Mizbech and the Shulchan. He already saw. He saw how it all merged together. He understood the metaphysical secrets of the bringing together. The Shulchan is in the north and the, and the menorah is in the south. And it's all centered to the Aron Kodesh. It's all part of a bigger picture. And Chazal say the Mishkan below is really reflective of the Mishkan above. And he understood the whole. He got the whole picture. He understood all of the details. He understood how it all connected. It was a whole world until itself. Moshe Rabbeinu understood that this Mishkan was really reflective of a whole creation that a human being can live together with Hashem. That a human being can create a world. A human being can create a world with Hashem. Because what is the difference between Shabbos? Listen carefully. What is the difference between Shabbos and a Mishkan? Shabbos is a world that God created. Shabbos is a great gift. You know what the Mishkan is? The Mishkan is a world that what? That we created. Shabbos, Hashem comes down. 
The question is, in the Mishkan world, will Hashem come in? What was the bracha that Moshe gave? The bracha that Moshe gave was, you created the world. Will Hashem come into that world? The answer is as follows. If you create the world with enough holiness and with total unity of purpose, then you can also be a Mishkan. You can also create a world. As we started this year by saying, a human being can be, a human being who's Ba'achtus can have a tremendous connection with Hashem. Tremendous connection with Hashem. Says this fast MS, and this is the part that I don't fully understand, I mean, part that I do understand, part I don't understand. Says this fast MS, if you think about it, much of the Mishkan is all about the Mishkan is a big erector set and an expensive one but the Mishkan is all about taking pieces and doing what? and putting it together putting it all together, right? taking it apart, putting it together moving it to another place, putting it together the work of the Leviim in the Mishkan is putting it all together the work of the Kohanim is once you're in that world once you're in that world, so that's a whole different avoda. But the work of building the Mishkan is really taking all the pieces and putting it together. So what did Moshe, in his bracha, what did Moshe say? So I told you the beginning of the bracha. The bracha was, may the Shechina come. But what does he talk about in that psalm? Remember what we said at the very beginning of the year? What, what's in, the, in Psalm 91? What, what's there? So it says, the one who dwells on high, Yosheh Biseser Elyon, the one who dwells on high, Bitzel Shakai, right? The one who's in the shadow of God. What will they say of Hashem? What will they say of Hashem? Kihu Yakush, God will save you. He'll say, He will save you from the traps. Midever Havos, from devastating pestilence. Hashem is Machsi Mitsudasi. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. I will trust in Him. And the whole psalm is about not being afraid of the darkness of the night. Isn't it interesting? The psalm of Shabbos. The psalm of Shabbos is how come the wicked are prospering? The psalm of Shabbos is where's God in that world? And the answer to that is just wait. You'll see the wicked will go away and the tzaddik will be as as tall as the date tree, as tall as the, seed, the, the cedar of Lebanon, the tzaddik will be as tall as that. But you gotta wait. That will show you that God is straight. You gotta wait for that. What is, what is Moshe's? And that's, that's what Shabbos is about. So, what's, so Shabbos is, that's, that's the world that Hashem created. That's the world that we are a guest in that we will merit at one point. But what is the Mishkan? What do we say? What's the Mishkan? The Mishkan is what? It's the world that? It's the world that what? That we create. It's the world that we create. What is Moshe's psalm about? Moshe's psalm is not about Hashem. Moshe's psalm, psalm is about what? Is about what is a tzaddik? How does a tzaddik operate in this world? The tzaddik says, the tzaddik, he says, yeah, I will say of Hashem, He is my refuge, He is my fortress. The tzaddik develops in the darkness the muscles of faith. It's, an, it's not about, you'll see in the end it's going to be good. It's about, don't be afraid. Lo sira mi pachad laila. 
It's about Yeah, it's true there's pestilence that walks in gloom. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the destroyer who lays waste at noon. I, I, know, I understand you could be worried about that. There's a good reason to be worried about that, right? A thousand will fall at your side, but don't be, don't be afraid. A myriad, 10,000 at your right hand. Don't be afraid. You know why? Because they're going to look at you and you're going to have the faith. You'll develop within yourself the faith to be able to withstand all the trials and tribulations, all the difficulties. You know why? Because you, the tzaddik, are going to say, Ki ata Hashem machsi elyon Because the tzaddik walks around, but with, 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 the, with the recognition that Hashem, I don't know exactly why, but I know you're right there. I've shared with you so many stories of the Kleisenberg Rebbe, right, in the camps, right, the ability to be able to be in. Uh, just one more, just one more story. Simcha's Torah, he was beaten up like to a pope. He was beaten up like a pope. They, they thought he almost had died. And, that they, and the Hasidim came, Hasidim came to look at him. And, 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 and he was like, he moved, he was like moving, I think, like his. Either his toe or his finger, and they, they said, "Rabbi, we thought you were dead, and then we saw you moved your, you, you moved your thumb, or you moved your toe, and so Baruch Hashem, we see you. We, we, he gave us hope, and now we, you came back." So the Rebbe said, "You know, I was moving my toe." So they said, "Why?" He goes, "Well, it's Simchas Torah, and on Simchas Torah you have to dance." Uh-huh. You laugh at that story, but I tell you, Halavai. After all my dancing in Sukkot Torah, I could reach the Madrega, I could reach the Madre, the level of the Rebbe who moved his toe, who moved his toe. Because a Jew who believes that in the darkest place Hakadosh Baruch Hu can be found is a Jew who will always have the Menucha Sanefesh, who will always have the inner equanimity, the inner serenity to meet all the challenges of life. The Psalm of Mizmor Shil Yom HaShabbos is, is Adam Arishon telling the Jew it's going to work out in the end. Exactly the details you don't know and I don't know, but just wait around for a few thousand years. You'll see it work out in the end. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he gave the bracha of Ihi Noam, when he gave the bracha, <coughs> the bracha which was tailor-made to the Mishkan, when he gave that bracha, the bracha wasn't, it's going to work out. Because the Mishkan is the world that we create. The Mishkan is, Shabbos is the world that Hashem creates and we are a guest in that world. And the Mishkan is the world that we create, that we invite Hashem in. And in that world, the bracha is. <clears throat> Give me some water. In that world, the bracha is. A Jew has to be able to find within himself the menuchas anefesh, the comfort. And all about the Mishkan is being able to build your world. Bilvavi Mishkan Evne. Your Kodesh HaKadoshim, your Kodesh, your Azara, in that world, thank you very much. In that world, you build that Mishkan. You build that Mishkan and you put it all together and you unite it. And the source of that unity is the knowledge that wherever you go, you can see Hashem. Exactly the why and how? 
exactly why it's happening that you'll never know until you won't know for a long time. But to see Hashem, that gives a Jew faith. And nothing bad will happen to you. Maybe nothing bad will happen to you. Maybe a lot of bad things will happen to you. But you will realize in the end it's it's low to une because Hashem is there. And how does the psalm end? This is very beautiful. We'll end with this. The psalm ends, this, this part, like it's set, you have to really see it inside, so when you have a chance, look at chapter 91. The whole psalm is all about, is about Moshe Rabbeinu telling the tzaddik how you should be strong, and Malachim will be with you, and even though you're facing difficulty. And then, this is one of the rarest times, you don't find this in the Tehillim, without exception, maybe there's one or two other places until you find this. All of a sudden, in the middle, in the middle of the capital, in the middle of the chapter, Moshe Rabbeinu, or the psalmist, is speaking to you, and he's telling you, don't be afraid. Malach of Yitzavalach, Hashem will take care of you, they'll carry you on your palms, they'll be alright, you will see the good. All of a sudden, Pasuk Yudala, two Pesukim before the end, Kivi Chashak Va'afalteyu. All of a sudden, God, God chimes in. It's, the whole, t- you have to get, you have to appreciate by looking at it inside. The whole telling is, you, you can do it, Rebbe Yid. You look, when you look at the difficulties, just find Hashem in your world. Yeah, on the right, a thousand are dying, a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand on the left, whatever it is. But you will be able to see, you'll be able to see Hashem. And then, all of a sudden, in the end of the t- capital, chapter, verse 14, Hashem says, guess what? I was there the whole time. You have yearned for me, and I will deliver you. I will deliver you. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I am with him in distress. I will release him. I will honor him. I will satisfy him with long life and show him my salvation. God, in and of itself, God responds to you in a way that you, it's not even a question, it's not a conjecture. You mamish hear the voice of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's how the psalm ends. Because the Jew who lives with faith will not only experience the Mizmor Shil Yom HaShabbos of the next world, a Jew who lives with faith, with faith will experience the Mishkan in this world. The Mishkan of this world is being able to build a life with Hashem and being able to hear His voice, being able to, to walk into the, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, being able to walk into that special Makkum, the, the panemius of a Jew, the internal reality of a Jew, and to be able to say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, all of the challenges are so hard sometimes. I, I don't know why. I don't know exactly what, but, I, but, but, I, but, I, but I, I am able to see you in those challenges. Because of that, I have Menuchas HaNefesh. And with that will come the bracha. And with that will be the unity of it all. Will be, will be found tremendous bracha. Hashem should give each and every one of us the ability, Be'ez HaShem, to build our own mishka. To, build, to be able to build the mishka and be, and, and be zochet to the bracha. Moshe Rabbeinu, the bracha, not just of Vihi Noam, but the bracha at the end of the capital, Rakhash Baruch says, I see that even in the darkness, Atomachsim Sudasi, then I see that, I'm not going to leave you in suspense. I'm going to even appear to you. Kivi Chashak Vafateyu, I will be able to, you're able to hear my voice in your world. to that in our own world and in the world of Kha Yisrael. And here be Amen. What? With the wedding? No, no. I don't know.
where is it? <laughs> By his house? Oh, Talatazan. Um, I have his address. On your phone? Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome.